Tonight we're going to talk about the Eden story. We're going to get in Genesis 2. We've already dove into some of it, but we're going to kind of go through some. Try to get to verse 17 is what we're going to do, and then we'll pick up the second half of the Eden story on, uh, I believe, next Wednesday. All right? So, all right, so let's see here. My, my little deal ain't working. There we go. Let's see if that'll work. There it goes. All right, so now, Genesis 1 and 2. Why do we have two creation stories? You ever thought about that? Why is there Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? Why are there two creation stories? Here's, here's a little bit of an idea, a thought towards that, and there may be a lot more to it than, than what I'm saying. Genesis 1 gives the ideal terms of creation, kind of the big picture kind of thing about what creation is all about, how it took place. Uh, and, it's, and it's basically a, a six-day breakdown of how God created the heavens and the earth. We, we, we studied through some of that. We'd like to go back and, and do it again. Actually, I need to go verse by verse, really. But uh, would y'all be all right? We, we take six months to talk about six days. <laughs> you could, actually. You really could. All right, so now Genesis 1 is focused on God. It's focused on his power, that he has the power to speak. He's, he's like the greatest king that's ever been. He can speak, and not only do things get done, things happen. When he speaks, when he says the word son, it actually creates what he's thinking about. So it's, it's focusing on God, his power, and his goodness. In fact, every day it ends. Was it, was it in? It, 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 he, he saw it, and it was good. And then on the sixth day, it said it was very good, right? After he completed it all. Now, that, that's Genesis 1, kind of the big, broad brush strokes. Genesis 2 zooms in to a specific place. It zooms into this garden. It's going to take a close-up shot of some things that God is doing, going to give us some more detail about how God created man and woman. Uh, it's going to focus on the humans. Now, chapter 1 is focusing on, on God. Now, his partner is going to come into focus, the humans, right? Adam and Eve are going to come into focus in chapter 2. Uh, we've we got the garden's going to be there. The, there's going to be these trees. These trees are going to come into focus. They're going to play a big part. And it kind of sets up the next leg of the story, which is chapter 3. Is there some trees in chapter 3 that kind of cause some trouble? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then he's talking about the delight of living in paradise. And he's, he's, he's preaching this point to us from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 so that when you get to Genesis 3, it, you see how tragic it is. You, you've got this image of God that has literally fallen from grace. I mean, fallen just terribly. And this lie that comes to them and they believe it. So, so he's painting this picture of the delight of what it is to live in paradise. That's what the word Eden is. It's the word delight or, or paradise. So now, let's, let's read. Let's get some text. Genesis 2, 4, and 4 through 6. Let's see this. Ready? We got it up there on the screen. You can read that. All right. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. We've heard that before, right? It kind of sounded a little bit like Genesis 1. Verse 5. And before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist, or what we call a dew, a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. All right, so we get some interesting details here. About what's going on. Now this, this phrase here, this is the history or this is the genealogy is what it says several times. 
That phrase is found 10 times in Genesis. Okay, you, you see them in your notes right there. I got it broke down 2, 4, 5, 1, 6, 9, all the way to 37, 2. 10 times that phrase is in Genesis. And each time it's showing you that that's a, a, a dividing point. It's a, it's a start of a new section. Okay, they didn't do chapter headings like we do in our books and put, you know, this is chapter one, this is chapter two, this is the, they didn't, they didn't do that when they wrote the, ver- they had these literary devices that they used to, to show the reader that this is the start of something new in the story. Okay, and this phrase, this is the history, or this is the genealogy, and then he goes and lays it out. This is the genealogy of Ishmael, this is the genealogy of Isaac, this is the genealogy of Jacob, and, and starting a whole other section of the story. Does that make sense to you? So when you read that, just, just know that's happening. I'm, I'm about to get some new information is what it's telling me. All right? So now, what's happening here with my, my little pointer here? So now, there, there's some interesting details what we just read, right? So there were no plants of the field or herbs of the field yet. Okay? So it's a little bit different rendering of, of the creation story than what we saw in Genesis 1. So this is, this is a way to describe edible and, and inedible plants. You know, maybe shrubs and flowers, things like that. And then you got your edible herbs and seven herbs and spices and all that kind of stuff, you know. And you got all your, your, your vegetables, things like that. There was none of that at this point in time. And there's two reasons given. Do you hear the two reasons? No rain yet. That's interesting, huh? No rain yet. How did things get water? The dew. This mist came up. This beautiful morning dew come up. And it, and it misted everything and it, and it wetted down. And there's another reason he gave that there's there's no plants, there's no there's there's no vegetable gardens, nothing like that. The second reason is there's no humans. There's no humans to till the ground. So now what what do we make out of all that? Evidently, these two kinds of plants could only thrive with rainfall and humans to tend to them. So God in his wisdom said, Okay, well I'm not gonna bring that in until I get them here, and then we'll take care of that part. All right? Hey, Miss Sandy. All right, so now, question. Now, that's, this is interesting. Now, this is meditation literature. So you, got, you, you read parts of it and sh- short segments of it, and you think about it. And you ponder it. All right, so now, what's the story telling us? It's telling us a little something. Did the garden have to be tilled and cultivated? Hmm. Now, think about that. That's interesting. All right, so things weren't just falling out of the sky. So, so the garden had to be tilled and cultivated. So now what does this tell us about the farm that they're going to live on? That's kind of the way I picture it, not just a garden. I picture it like this big, giant farm. It's got everything on this farm. What, what does this tell us about the farm? It has to be worked. There's that four-letter word right there, right? It has to be worked. It's going to involve work in this project, right? Now, were, were there weeds in the garden? No. I don't know, maybe Carol asked a question the other day. I, I, I kind of just kind of moved on from it. But she asked a question. And, and now I think about it, it kind of fits in right here. She said, it is. You asked the question, were there like dead trees laying around and things I had to take care of and stuff like that had to be dealt with? It seems like it's possible. There were things that had to be taken care of. We know that much anyway. All right. So now we're going to come to this conclusion. Now, this, this may sh- shake your boat a little bit, but I've had to meditate and ponder on this a lot and read a lot of people a lot smarter than me. The garden was a good place. It was actually the best place on earth. 
but it was not a perfect place. And perfect in the sense that it was complete. You know, the word perfect in the Bible means complete. When, it, when you use the idea of perfection, it's talking about completion or maturity. The, it was not mature. I, we just saw a, a statement that told us that there are things that had to be taken care of and cultivated, right? So it wasn't a perfect place, but it was a really good place. It's the best place a human could live. It's the best place they could be. Here's the idea. God left some things for us humans to take care of. He left some things for us. He just said that, right? In the story. So here's where we see the partnership coming together between us and God. Between the humans and God. This is, this is laying it out. God said, I'm not going to do this until the humans get here. When I bring them in, I'll bring in all the vegetable gardens and they can take care of all that kind of stuff. All right? So... God, here's how the partnership works. God made the ground with all of its life-giving properties. But who's going to have to plant, cultivate, and care for it and harvest it? Who's going to have to do that? Sure. <laughs> They're going to hire some folks. Right? <laughs> all right, so now, remember he said to take dominion or to rule properly and subdue? And then later in the story, we're going to get to this part. He's going, he says, tend and keep the garden. Tend it and keep it. Take care of it. Improve on it. Expand it. Cultivate it. Do all that. I mean, when you cultivate the ground, you, you prepare the ground for what's coming, right? And evidently, ruling and sub, subduing, tending and keeping looks a lot like gardening or a lot like farming. Okay? Okay, now, are there any Jesus stories about gardening? And farming. There's a bunch of them, isn't it? He says, I, I remember one about some seed. That the farmer went out to sow some seed and cast the seed on this and that and the other, and it had different results and effects, didn't it? You remember all that? So, so ruling in your life and, and subduing the things in your life that, that are there it looks a lot like gardening. A lot of New Testament scripture, Jesus stories are all about that. So you, you take that story of, oh, how am I ruling well? Well, what's, what, what's, what's this crop that I'm in charge of producing? What's this life that I'm in charge of? What's it producing? What, what, what kind of fruit is coming out of my life? What kind of fruit is coming out of my character? What kind of fruit is coming out of my, my home and my marriage and my, my kids, my job, my resources, my, my good works, what kind of stuff's coming out of me? So Jesus brings all that to bear, that this, this ruling and subduing that we're to do as humans, it looks, alike, looks like farming. There's some weeds that's got to be pulled. We know that, right? In our garden anyway. We've got a lot of them. Some of them six, eight foot tall at this point, ain't they? You've got some stones and some rocks that's got to be dug out, some hard places, some hard heads, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. All right? I hope you get the point. So now, everybody good with all that? that, that it kind of takes you a little while to absorb it. The garden was a good place, but not a perfect place. All right? But it was, it was just like God wanted it. Now, don't get me wrong. It was just like he wanted it. But he wanted it to be incomplete so the humans could come in and help complete the project. Does that, are, you click, are you tracking with that? All right. Let's go to 2-7. Two seven. Pick up some more text. And the Lord God formed. We talked a little bit about this on Sunday. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, 
and man became a living being. Hmm, boy, that one's loaded up, ain't it? So we'll get a little bit more information about how Adam, this is just Adam dealing with him right here. Eve will come a little bit later. We're going, Eve will be next week. I, I was hoping to get to Eve this week, but I won't be able to get there. So now we're getting some more information about the humans, about us, about how we were created and what, what's intended. And if you want to know how, what something's for, you go back to the manufacturer, go back to the way it started and see what's there. Now, what about Genesis 1 and 2? What do we know about the humans so far? What do we know about them? Tell me. You talk to me. Just straight out of the text. What, what do we know about them? They're God's creation. They're made in His image. They're, they're, we, we just got that information about them being formed the way God wanted to, right? All right. What, what, what are some of their tasks? What are they told to do? The they tend and take care of the garden. They're told to rule and subdue and be fruitful and multiply. All that stuff. We, we, we got, I'm just saying we're gathering all this information. We just got a little bit more information, right? All right, so it, it helps us about us too. So now let's just break all that down. You, you just told me all this, but let's look at it together again. Just want to make sure we get this. The humans were created in the image and likeness of God. All right, now that's a radical statement. That's a radical statement because in the ancient world, when this would have been written, this would only be spoken of of kings. We know that kings thought that they were created, they were the image of God. I mean, they actually, a lot of them thought they were God, didn't they? I mean, I got a Pharaoh who thinks he's God, you know. So it was spoken of kings, but God speaks this about all the humans. This is what my intent and purpose is for humans, that they be created in my image and likeness. So, so this is a radical view of people, of us. It's a radical view. Now you think about it. And it's an exalted view, isn't it? It's an elevated view. It's, it's, it's us not, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like this dreadful thing that's just floating around now in, in all the politics and all the silly circles of people and especially the environmentalist type stuff they're saying you know what the planet needs is less humans really what kind of view is that of people are we going to trust them to thin us out what are they going to do you know I know their house might be crowded but get a bigger house see that's 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 a real low level of Humanity, a real low view of humanity. God doesn't see people that way. God made the earth for people. Right? Now, so, so this image and likeness thing again. We keep, keep talking about this. Go back to Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's what Paul says in Colossians. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then Paul says elsewhere that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now see, when you see that word image, where should your mind just immediately go to? Genesis chapter 1. It's a hearkening back. So if Jesus is, he is the human. In fact, Jesus called himself the human. Literally, the son of man. Remember that? The Son of Man. That, that's like the human. That's what that literally means. I, I, am, I am the Son of the human. I am the. I am. He, he is the human ideal. Let's say it like that. He is the new humanity that has come to Earth to show us what God looks like. 
and how God operates. And he is redeeming this role that was lost in Genesis 1 and 2. That's what he's doing. And now when we are told to be conformed to he come to show us the image, and now we are conformed to his image, then we begin to fulfill that as well. Does that make sense to you? In character and with deed and works and all that kind of stuff. All right? I hope I'm keeping you on the line here. You, you good? You tracking? Shake your head like this. Say amen or owe me one or the other. <laughs> all right, so, so y'all said this too. Humans were created to rule and subdue. That's kingly language. I didn't put be fruitful and multiply. I left that one off here, but you can write that in the top of your notes. Be fruitful and multiply, they were told as well. They were created to rule and subdue. So they're, they're created to be co-rulers with God. Paul said it in another place, he said it like this, co-laborers with God. Right, that's a Genesis thing again. All right. Now, here, this, this idea is kind of inferred. That humans, us, we're created to be creative. We, 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 we got minds, we, we got thoughts, imaginations, ideas. We, we have the capability of formulating things and, and we have the capability of, to walk into a pile of wood and then come out and put it all together and make a house. Put marble countertops on top of it. Cabinets, all that kind of stuff. We can do it. We, we, we're created to be creative. You know that? And you may be creative in the area of working with your hands or artistically or, or construction-wise, building-wise. Or maybe you're creative with your thoughts. Maybe you're creative in writing and uh, organizing, doing whatever, taking care of your house. And if you're going to be heading up a house, you're going to have to be creative with them kids. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> so so we're, we're created to be creative. That's a whole topic all by itself. Organize and then execute the plan. Get it done, right? So, so now here, here we're in chap, uh, chapter 2, verse 7. This is what we just read. Formed by God's hands. What, what do we talk about that Sunday? If, if the humans are, Adam was formed, what, what was the difference in that? Remember, the word in Genesis 1 was God created. The word in Genesis 2 is that God formed Adam. What, what's that? What, what, what do we talk about the difference? It's like he molded him. He, he crafted him like an, like an artist would, like, like a potter would on, on the wheel with his, with his clay. He, he actually formed Adam and shaped him with his hands. Remember we talked about that? that? That we were made by the touch of God. And that's one thing we crave all of our life. We crave to be touched by God. That God would touch our lives in such a way that we could, could make a difference for him. And we could find meaning and purpose. That, that touch. That's one of my favorite points I've, I've seen right here in Genesis 2. God formed it. I bet he was a good-looking fellow. I bet he was. <laughs> wasn't nobody telling no different. <laughs> there wasn't no woman yet to tell him he wasn't, so he, he did all right. I bet they were a, a, a good-looking couple. What do you think? I bet they were. So we got some information here. He's made from the dust. Right? Made from the earth, made from the dust. Talked a little bit about that Sunday too. Made, and he's also made from the breath of God. So he's made out of two parts. He's part earth and he's part divine. The divine spirit is the divine breath. Let's say it like that. The divine breath is within him. And like I told you Sunday, that breath from Adam that God breathed in Adam 
has passed down from generation to generation. And guess where the original breath that you breathe is that same breath he breathed in Adam. And when God breathed in Adam, he came alive. He became a living being is what it says right here. He became alive. He, he became fully aware. He's fully aware of his surroundings. He's aware of himself. He's aware of God. He became fully aware. He's animated. He's intelligent. He's able to think, imagine, reason. Uh, you know, Adam was, he, he was Superman. And he had a really good teacher. His father was a great teacher. You know, all this stuff about us roaming the earth and being all these, learning these primitive things and doing all that. I, I don't think Adam was like that at all. Adam was a smart cookie. Hmm. He had morality. He, 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 had this, he was learning this concept of right and wrong. He was able to relate, interact, respond. He's going to get a mate to interact with here real soon. All right. And this living being thing, it speaks of this uniqueness of the soul or the spirit of, of the human, this, of, of the spirit of man. That's what this living being is. All right? We're good? That, that 2 7. And if, if I could get you to memorize anything, it'd be Genesis 1 26, 27, 28, and then this Genesis 2 7. That would be really worth your time to memorize those, those and get them in you. All right? Let's get some more text. Was it 8 through 15? Is that what I got jotted down? All right. So now to the garden. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. That's the answer to Carol's question, I think. Which one? Didn't create no bad ones. Didn't have no beetles. In there. <laughs> no beetles in, not in these, not yet. Anyway, the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. So we'll get some more information about the garden here. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there too. So we're, we're it says the tree of life for sure was in the middle. We're, we're going to just the way it's worded. It's, it's like they both were there in the middle. That's the way it seems to be worded to me. Verse number ten. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one with the skirts. It skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. So when, when this is being written, they, there's this territory and land. They know about it. And there's gold in them, their hills. You know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. <laughs> and the gold of that land is good. Bedellum and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is, yeah, you see that right there, Hidekel. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates, right there in the Mesopotamian area. Euphrates, remember the Tigris? We studied those Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. All right. Let's see what we got here. All right. So, so now it says the Lord God 
took the man. All right, remember our little picture, the little cartoon picture we did Sunday? All right, so, so we've got the way the story lays out, we've got like these three sections. You've got the land, that seems to be where Adam was made, out there in the dust. Literally is what that word means, out there in the land. Then there's this region called Eden. See, it's the garden in Eden is the way it's worded. It's the garden in Eden. So Eden is like this section. It's like this, this huge part of land in the east over there. He just described some of the region right there, though in, in eastward is what it said. You got Eden, and right in Eden is this garden. Right? And we're going to center right into the center of that garden. There's going to be two trees in that garden. Okay? Now, why did I say all that? Because it, it's, it, it really is insightful when you start looking at it. The garden was the home of Adam and Eve, right? And their family. And was like a beautifully manicured farm. Now, I'd like to think of it as a farm. Okay? Because it's like acres and acres and acres. I don't think of a garden like he had the backyard plowed up. I ain't thinking like that. I mean, it's got every kind of tree you could think of in it. In fact, it's full of trees. That's why I go with the idea of farm. It's like full of trees. There are trees that are pleasant to look at. There's beautiful trees everywhere that just... You step into this, this part of the place, you come out from the land, and you step into Eden, it's pretty delightful. That's what the word means. It's pretty nice. But now you get into this garden, it's real nice. I mean, it is set up. It is, it is set up for home. And there's all these trees that are beautiful to look at. And there's all these fruit trees of all kinds. Every kind of fruit tree you can imagine. Probably some species we don't even know about was all in this garden. And I don't know if you've ever been around fruit trees, but they're absolutely beautiful. It's a beautiful place. And what, what's the fruit trees there for? They're going to eat those things. They're going to eat all that, right? All right, so now, we're told about two trees in specific. What were those two trees? The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is going to take center stage in the next story, in chapter 3, right? So the tree of life, or the tree that gives life, the tree that contains life, is there in the middle of the garden, front and center. Their whole existence is around this tree. That's important. It says it's in, right in the middle of their life is this tree of life. Okay? All right? Are they going to eat from this tree? Yeah. I hope so. They're going to... Eat from the other trees? Yeah, absolutely. So now, now, why, why did I take time to, to talk about all that, the division, that, like that three-part division? You got the land, you got the Eden, and you got the garden. Now, this garden is the place, the particular place on earth where heaven and earth meet together. This garden is the place where later we're going to see that Adam walks with God in the cool of the day in this garden. It literally is the place where heaven and earth meet. Okay? The earth is set up like God's temple. The scripture says the earth earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And it's set up like a temple. That's why I took time to talk about these three parts. The tabernacle and temple will reflect the same model. Don't you see how these these parts kind of correspond? Okay, now what I have on the right hand side right here is, is the outer court, holy place, holy of holies, and the ark of the covenant. Okay, what, what's, what's that describing? It's like the tabernacle, isn't it? Or the temple. 
you got this outer court, you go into it, there's this holy place, and there's this, there's this tree there. It's called a menorah. And there's this bread on the other side from the fruit of the ground, right? And, and, and then you got the holy of holies. You step beyond this veil. And on this veil in, in the, the tabernacle and the temple are painted the cherubim. Like the, like the gate of Eden had the cherubim there. The gate of the garden had the cherubim. And then right in the center of that holy of holies was what? Is the Ark of the Covenant. All right. All right, so now back up into the earth model here. Okay, which is a, a semblance of, of the one in heaven as well. You, you got the land and you're kind of getting, you're getting closer to this tree of life. You got the land, then you get into Eden, then you get into the garden, you go to the center, and it's the tree of life. And I tell you all this because Adam and Eve were not just kings and queens on the earth. They were actually priests on the earth. In fact, we, we pick up this language that we as the, in the body of Christ are a royal priesthood. It's going back to all this Adam and Eve stuff. We are part of the royal priesthood of God. In fact, another place it says we are kings and priests unto our God. Talking about us in Christ now. Right? So, so God, when he looks at the earth, he looks at the earth, it, it, it's his. It's, it's sacred to him. It's, it's to be holy. I mean, it's been defiled by sin and all the, the madness. But when he created it, he created it like his temple. And it was with a place where he was going to fellowship with man. So when you fast forward through the story all the way to Revelation 21 and 22. And there is a new heaven and a new earth. You know what it says about it? It says there will be all kind of good stuff in that place because God will be in the midst of her. You see what I'm talking about? Uh, it's just a little side note on that, all that. So we get this information about these four rivers. Uh, just a little, little bit of information here. There's probably some more history type stuff we could look at. This seems to be in that kind of uh, Iraq area, in that general area right over there. That's where it seems to be, where these rivers are. Of course, it's hard to tell because all the geology changes has happened and plate shifting and all that. It's hard to really source these rivers and find out where they, where they originated. But this particular region was the source of life for all of creation. Mm. You know, that's the way they viewed the temple in Jerusalem. That it was a source of life for all the earth. And, and the life of God would flow out of it. And this is kind of what's happening here in Eden. Right? Reminded of Revelation 22 again. In Revelation 22 it talks about the river. Another river. The river of life which comes out of the throne of God. Hmm, that's what, it's in the new creation. All right? Now. Some creative word play right here. You get, kind of got to know a little bit of Hebrew or do a little bit of word study to kind of see this. But some creative word play and it kind of gives an idea of what God's plan and purpose was in all of this. Okay, so God rested man in the garden. We just saw that in 2.15. Literally, I think in the English it says that God set him in the garden. So it's like, <laughs> I get the picture now. This is all just, we're, we're trying to imagine what's happening right here. God makes him and then God takes him and sets him right in the garden. 
Okay? He didn't make him in the garden. He brought him to the garden. Set him in the garden. Okay? And God rested the man. It says set in your English. But literally the word is, it's the verb form of the word Noah. Which the word Noah means rest. It's, he rested the man in the garden. Okay, let me put, put this together for you. Well, we, we saw in chapter 2 at the first part that after God created everything, what did he do? Amen. On the seventh day, he did what? Amen. He rested. All right? So we got man is rested in the garden. God is resting on the Sabbath. And, and it doesn't say that Sabbath ended right there. It's, it's, like, it's like a whole season of rest began. All right? So this, this is what I confer just by bringing this little... Hebrew wordplay right here together. That God desires us to live in His rest as we do our work. Now you think about that. See, because rest to God is not you just going to sleep. Theologically, that rest is not you sleeping and getting your eight hours in at night. Rest is a state of being where you are at peace. And God wants us as humans. In fact, Christ is coming to redeem that for us. God wants us as humans, he wants Adam and Eve here, to live in a state of rest while they work. Hmm. At peace with God, at peace with creation, at peace with each other, at peace within themselves. That's rest, isn't it? That's rest. That's what God's desire is. Now, tragically, this rest is going to be broken. Sin is going to have a terrible effect on this idea of rest. Now their rest is going to be turned in Genesis 3 to grief. Toil is the word that the English uses. It's going to be turned into grief. Now, did Jesus have anything to say about rest? Come unto me, Come unto me all you who are wore out and labored about working yourself to death. And I will give you rest. Hmm. wonder what he's talking about. Jesus is saying that. Hey, y'all, come here. I, I know where there's a garden where God lets men rest, helps their souls rest. I, I know where this place is. I, come, come to me. Come follow me. I'll show you the place. <laughs> you see? I'm just saying. I, I'm telling you. I'm, I'm not exaggerating this at all. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 you start tracing all of these New Testament truths and guess where their roots come right out of? Right over here. Okay. All right. All right. Oh, we're doing good. We, we're almost done, really. Almost. Almost is the operative word. <laughs> so they're commissioned to tend and keep, right? Again, that tend and keep, that's, that's one place we get the priestly language from. To tend and keep later will be used about the priest. That they're tending and keeping things with the tabernacle. Okay. To tend and keep. That sounds like work, doesn't it? Now get this. Because this is real important to who we are. Work and responsibility are part of what makes us good humans. You know that? You cannot be a good human without something to do. Paradise is not pleasure island. Hey, it's great to take a couple of days off and chill, but I don't know how y'all are. Two or three days of off, I'm good. I, then I, I got to do something. 
I got to do something. I cannot just lay around and do nothing. I, it, maybe you can. I, I can't. I cannot. That, 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 that's, that's a form of torture to me. <laughs> you think about stuff you got to do. That's right. Now, I'm not saying you can't take a week off. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that the responsibility that God gives us makes us better humans. Let me, let me tell you a case in point. When you had the responsibility of having children thrown upon you, when it happened to you, that had a great effect on your life, didn't it? Let's back up even, even marriage. When, when you got married, that responsibility of having to help and take care and be responsible and console and do all the things and partner with somebody else, that, we say things to people like, you know what he needs? He needs a good woman to grow him up. We say things like that, right? Why? Because the responsibility does something to us to make us better humans. And when you shrug your responsibilities or you're lazy or you procrastinate and you put it off, that ain't good. It is not good to be 40 years old living in your mama's basement off her social security check. That is not good. And it's not good for you to be wanting to live in a country that becomes a welfare state. That is, one, that is the absolute way to ruin your life and your society. Because responsibility is one of the things that makes us good humans. So you need to get a job. That's all I'm telling you. No. <laughs> well, whatever. The job might be in the house. It might be off somewhere else. I don't know. But God knows that we need something to do as humans. Right? So it's not Pleasure Island. It's not you sitting on the beach and somebody coming feeding you bonbons all day. That is not how to be human. That's how to ruin your life. You know what I'm talking about? What, 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 they, they say all these things about people that win the lottery nowadays. You know, they, they got all these things that, you know, whenever somebody wins the lottery, it, it almost always ruins their life. Why? Well, I'll tell you one reason why. It's because they didn't really have enough money to sin like they wanted to. So now they got the money to sin like they want to. So they go sin. <laughs> That's one reason. But then they, part of the reason is they, they shrug off all their responsibilities. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of, mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. And you think about this, think about how many people you've known in your life that they, they retired from their jobs and in the short loop after that, their, their health went foop, foop, or they died. You know, I'm saying retiring, you know what retired folks find out? They got to find something to do, piddle or something. I mean, a couple hours a day or something anyway, Wendell, right? You got to find something to do. Help the preacher or something. Huh? <laughs> you got plenty. Everybody needs something to do. That's, that's one key in parenting we've got to learn. Don't do it for them. Teach them to do it. That's part of what makes them human, that responsibility to take that up. And the, the younger you start, the better it is. Okay? Does that make sense to you? Because a sure way to ruin your life is to run from responsibility. So paradise has got something to do in there. How about that? Change your idea of paradise a little bit? <laughs> you were hoping to quit your job, wouldn't you? <laughs> now maybe just get one that appreciates you maybe. 
So now we got some instructions that's going to be given here in 2, 16, and 17. All right, let's go over there and read that. God's going to lay down the law right here. Our last two verses for the night. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying this, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Just eat to your heart's content. Enjoy. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay. All right. So pretty clear cut instructions, right? Now, remember that God's our father. Right? So this is like a father speaking to his son, saying, son, look, this is what you need to do. This this will be good. But look, this other stuff over here, you got to leave that alone, man. And any, any daddy's ever had conversations like that with the kids? What well, usually turns out. I mean, you tell a kid invariably that stove is hot, don't touch it. What are they going to do? They're going to touch it. They're going to find out one way or another. All right. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is off limits. That's what God says to them. Now, why in the world would God put a tree in the garden that's going to mess everything up? Anybody ever thought of that? Free choice to teach us what? See how strong they are? You know, boundaries are necessary to freedom. That's something we learn about it. Freedom that just has no boundaries is just anarchy. So boundaries are necessary. So God sets boundaries. There's a boundary on Eden, actually. There's a boundary on this garden. And there's going to be a boundary on their morality, what they can do, all right? Here's just a couple of my thoughts, and, and there's, there's more to it than this. I'm still pondering on all these things. Ask me when I'm about 85. I might have it figured out. <laughs> it's a lot to think about, ain't it, buddy? It's a lot to process. Try this on. Love and loyalty will always have to be tested. It, it'll always have to be tested. It always has a test. And love is, is not some fuzzy, warm feeling. It, love is a choice, isn't it? It's that free will thing you're talking about. Love is a free will choice. And God puts this tree in the middle of the garden. And, it, you know, did he, did he want Adam and Eve to know the knowledge of good and evil? I mean, don't, don't we need to know some of that? Yeah. But, but you know what? It's, it's, it's like kids, raising kids. They ask you questions. And you say things to them like, Ah, we'll talk about that later. Or when you get a little bit older, we'll talk about that. Sometimes it's, it's not necessarily even a bad thing. It's just they, that they can't comprehend it. It's like a little boy that, that come to his daddy and said, Daddy, where did we come from? He said, well, son, I guess it's time for us to talk about the birds and the bees. So he spent the next 30 minutes talking about the birds and the bees, and the little boy's eyes were like, what in the world? And the little boy looked up at his daddy and said, what? And daddy said, well, why did you ask the question? Where did we come from? He said, well, my buddy Johnny came from Chicago. I just wondered where we came from. <laughs> Some things you just ain't ready for. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but the, the, the knowledge of good and evil is something that, that they're, they're going to learn. But God wants to be the teacher. 
Who ends up being the teacher? The snake. All right. Love has to be tested. My mind, when I I wrote all this down this afternoon, my mind went to Jesus and Peter. This is Peter's bad moment. He, he, He had just denied the Lord three times. Roosters crowed. He didn't go on fishing. He went back to fishing. He quit the ministry, went to a job. And Jesus looked at him and said, Do you love me more than these? Love always has a test. It always has a choice involved, doesn't it? That's part of why I think that tree's there. Because without that resistance... There will be no strength. You said strength to to make them strong. Hmm. And see, what they're to learn is the knowledge of the good. They've got everything good in the garden available to them. It's all everywhere. Everything you can eat, all the trees in this garden, hundreds of them. Of all the trees in this garden, you can eat and eat and eat and eat. Just leave that in oil. All the stuff in this house while I'm gone, do not eat them cookies. <laughs> Leave them cookies alone. You're going to ruin your supper. And you no more hit the door, what happens? Somebody got chocolate chip on their lip. That's your dad. <laughs> All right. All right, so, so we got in the garden. The Eden story is unfolding. We're getting details. There's these two trees, and these trees are going to be important. Now, I think I got one more slide right here. The tree of life, and remember Adam was made of the dust of the ground. Here's another, you're going to have to think about this one. This one blow your mind. I've, I've had to process this for a long time to kind of grab it. The tree of life. God is telling them right in the middle of this garden is this tree. And staying close to God and in his place Eating of this tree of life will give you eternal life. Now, he doesn't say that. That's that's my rendering from other scriptures. Because the New Testament begins to talk about eternal life, or what we would maybe translate as everlasting life. Right? And God says, if you stay in this garden, you eat of this tree, you'll have eternal life. So there's this direct relationship between them and God and this tree of life. Okay? Okay. As far as it's a tree of life, you you think it's any coincidence that Jesus was hung on a tree? Think it has anything to do with this tree of life thing? Hmm. It has everything to do with it. So now this tree of life, it says that Adam was made of the dust of the ground. Now if you go through the scriptures and just do a a study on that phrase, just take your computer you got or Bible Hub software, whatever you're using, some internet software or something, and type in dust of the ground, and you'll find out that this phrase is used in Scripture to show our mortality, that, that we're mortal. It means we, we have an expiration date, right? So I, I believe the idea is being communicated by this tree of life and this idea of being made from the dust of the ground, that the humans were created as mortal beings. Okay, let me ask you this. If they were immortal, why would they need a tree of life? Does that make sense to you? 
So if they stayed in right relationship with God, they could have eternal life. Does that sound like Jesus or what? So God, the garden, and the trees, all of this is an opportunity for us humans to choose life or death. Right? Do we still have that choice today? Is that choice still before us? Ain't no doubt about it. In fact, Joshua, at one point, Joshua would stand in front of the whole nation of Israel. And he would say to them, choose life. Now I lay before you life and death. Choose life. Choose life. I'm laying before you life and death. Choose life. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what he said. Right? So, so we still have the same choice today. So what I'm saying is the, these, these stories right here are to lay overlay on top of our lives because we still, as humans... The offspring of Adam and Eve. We still have these same dilemmas facing us today. We still have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Is there still going to be a test? Oh, you better bet you. You better bet you. You good? Is your brain just tired now? You just... Angelina, you did good. Questions, comments? The biggest thing that I kind of had a... To wrap my mind around is, I always thought Adam and Eve were created as immortals. And then I started thinking about that tree. Why was that tree there if they were immortal? What they were given is they were given an opportunity for eternal life. Does that make sense to you? Think about it. We good? Questions, comments? Sandy, you got anything? You good? Excellent. Praise God for that. That's awesome. He was at the football field last night walking around. He looked good. Good deal. Just got to gotta rehab all the way and get, get his strength back. Just his own stuff, yeah. Good deal. Questions, comments, you good? We got to think about these things now. This is who we are. We, 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 we not only find them in there, we find us in here. You hear me? You good? Keep reading. Let's pray. All right, Lord, thank you for your help. Uh, we see a lot of stuff about us. We hear, hear some things that we struggle with. We still have this choice laid before us today, Lord, to choose life or death. And I pray you'd help us to choose life. Help us to see the wisdom in it. Just thank you for your blessing on us, Lord. Just don't give up on us. Keep teaching us. Keep keep honing us. Keep speaking to us. Keep revealing scripture to us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Thank you for your blessing on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.